You're about to hear my bi-weekly conversation with Brent Joyce. We talk all about the earnings season, what risks exist in the stock market, and how to think about inflation. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKinsey Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm back for my bi-weekly conversation with Brent Joyce. Brent, welcome back. Thanks, Matt. It's good to be here again. Uh, I, I've, uh, as, as we stated last time, uh, we'll have Brent on every other week to talk about uh, equities primarily. Dustin will offset that with a fixed income discussion uh, on the opposite weeks. Brent, over the last two weeks, what have you seen in equity markets that stood out to you? What's interesting to you and what are you paying attention to? Yeah, so we wrapped up earnings season in Canada. Uh, the U.S. was um, done a few weeks before that. And so I think what we're entering now typically comes every quarter, this um, soft period where there isn't a lot of um, very robust data that the markets really sink their teeth into, earnings being, being the lifeblood of stock prices. So we've got a float along here. You know, we've been a couple of weeks uh, with it, and we've got another four to six weeks to go before we'll strike into another earnings season. So that's... Um, Increases, I would say, some of the, the, the fragile nature of what we've talked about with equities having gone running so far so fast. Uh, and then, you know, Dustin's uh, coming back to talk about, about the bond side, but certainly inflation, inflation expectations and what's been happening in the bond market right. over the past couple of weeks uh, has important implications for stocks as well. So a bit of rotation happening there. Be interested to dive uh, more deeply, maybe into the inflation uh, piece first. You, you mentioned the rotation. Um, we've seen uh, a bit of a reversal from uh, effectively all the way back to November uh, on the vaccine rollout value really um, leading the way. Uh, we've seen a bit of a reversal of that over the past, uh, I don't know, one or two weeks or something like that, shorter term. Uh, what's your view on that? Does that make sense? Do you think it's overstated? How are you viewing that? Yeah, well, the $64,000 question is, will this inflation boost pop uh, overshoot that we're seeing at the moment be uh, transitory or something more permanent, persistent, and structural? And it, it's the, the answer to that question is very important for asset prices in the medium to long term. Um, and unfortunately, there's just evidence on both sides of the equation that point to it being transitory and some evidence that points to it being a little more longer term structural and, and persistent. Markets are historically not terribly patient animals, um, really trying to, to figure out what's happening six, eight, 10, 12 months from now and want to price that today. Right? That is always the nature of, of where we see volatility coming from. And at the current juncture, you know, with the size of, of the uh, move that we're seeing and the size of the impact from the pandemic over the past 14, 15 months, the data has been thrown so off kilter that we are forced now as I would say more rational or patient long-term investors simply to, to be patient and wait and see where the data comes through. 
Um, you know, we've got copper prices moving higher, oil prices moving higher, supply chain disruptions, talk of labor shortages, skills mismatch, all of these things. Um, some are visible, like, like the prices of commodities. Some are very anecdotal. And the inflation numbers coming in, and you can point to category after category after category where it's hotels, flight prices, restaurants, those things that are all scream transitory to me. Sure. But, you know, this is, this is not a surprise for the forecasters. And yet the last three inflation prints in the U.S. have, you know, bested what were already pretty high expectations, you know, last week's number being 5%. And then what's confusing against that for, for the equity market to parse through is why are bond yields trending lower in the face of these surprise inflation prints, transitory or not? Right. Um, so there's uh, it's still quite foggy on, on that side of things for inflation. And the best advice I can give to folks is patience. We need to get a little more data um, under the, under our belts here before we get a better sense of where things might sift out or, or settle out you know, um, six, eight months from now. And, and what types of things are you are you paying attention to that will allow you to solidify your prediction or, or, or give you more confidence if, if inflation is indeed transitory or not? Is it, you know, are you looking forward to uh, when U.S. stimulus maybe wraps up or when your, uh, you know, projections from the Fed or, or what what is it that you're paying attention to that are give you, I mean, there's no bell, of course, and no one's going to tell you the answer, but what gives you more confidence and what are you paying attention to? Yeah, so inflation expectations are a good indicator. Looking at um, trying to find peaks in some of the high-frequency, forward-looking survey-type material is one thing that we can look at. So we had the um, the ISM surveys on the manufacturing and the services ones uh, come out every month. They're incredibly reliable, um, long data sets, and embedded in the in both of those. Uh, but the the one we've looked at most closely as of late in the manufacturing side is this prices paid. Uh, we talked about this uh, about five weeks ago or so, I think. I don't know if we covered it in our, our first podcast, but that measure spiked up to 90, and that's a, a massively huge number. And when we looked back to see what happened the last time that number spiked up to 90 from manufacturers saying we're raising prices, uh, it was back in 2008, and inflation was running above 5% in the U.S., and so last week's 5% print on that predictor is not a surprise. The good news is that leading indicator, the ISM survey, did tick down ever so slightly from 90 down to 88. And, you know, that's cutting it pretty fine. And we're parsing the tea leaves pretty deep here um, in order to see if we can find some clues. But you, you add that with all the transitory stuff that was coming through the actual inflation numbers. And you look at some of the uh, inflation, forward inflation expectations. So break-evens have come down over the past two weeks in the, in the bond market. Uh, other surveys like the uh, Consumer Surveys and, and um, National Federation of Independent Business, they're still suggesting that prices are going to rise, but they're less concerned than they were a month and a half, two months, three months ago. And so these ever so slight little peaks on some of these high-frequency data points are helping us to be more comfortable that this inflation will largely be transitory. And if, if some of it is structural and persistent, then that could be cause for some consternation as we reprice a few things. But I don't think it upsets the apple cart completely. We've been looking for higher inflation for a decade. So if we get sure. something that's 2%-ish, um, you know, 18 months from now or a year from now, 
then um, then I think we're probably in a good place. Not everything that we worry about has to end up as a as a car crash or a train wreck, right? These things can work themselves out. Right. Um, and, and are those uh, is that uh, tension between this idea of transitory or or um, or overshooting inflation? Call it. Uh, is that what is driving the markets? Like we talked, you talked a little bit about the rotation from growth versus value um, lately. Is that is that what's truly behind it, or is there other things at play? No, this is the part that's so puzzling, or and certainly I guess frustrating for some. Is in the very short term, the last couple three weeks, as you mentioned, the bond market has um, seen yields fall to you know levels that we saw earlier this year. And so what was a sideways move in bond yields from March through to about two, three weeks ago has definitively turned into a, you know, a bit of a souring uh, for bond yields. And you have to ask your question, if, you know, what, is the bond market sniffing out something here, sniffing out some trouble that the equity market isn't uh, paying attention to? And I would say no. You know, I think the culprit is a series of other factors that have had yields coming down. And those falling yields have really juiced the growth trade again. Mm. And, you know, we we're in the camp of the reopening trade is going to be the more dominant one. Not that growth has to uh, has to collapse, but it's it has seen and we talked about this in our first visit, you know, that markets price on the rate of change. Right. So the rate of change of things getting better for Amazon and Apple and, and Netflix and all that sort of stuff is not as rapid as it was a year ago, given what we know is happening, you know, on the ground and the reopening and people going out and doing stuff. And so the rate of change for things like financials and energy and the, um, the more cyclically oriented sectors, we should be seeing that pick up, pick up steam. And, and it was earlier this year. But it's now squishy in here, right? We've seen financials be a little bit weak over the last week or so. Uh, energy's held in there, right? And that's that still is probably the last piece of the reopening trade. But the growth stocks are back to enjoying, you know, these lower yield environment. I had a conversation with one of our Canadian equity PMs, and you know, I said the market feels like it has this perpetual motion machine, and and they found it sitting underneath the forever for free money tree. Um, you know, how can you have an optimistic view for growth if the bond market is telling you that growth is, is going to be squishy? And, you know, it's a bit counterintuitive. People look to those growth companies when growth is scarce, right? So right. all of this is, is making for a pretty foggy environment. Those idiosyncratic factors that are keeping bond yields um, capped to slightly lower are you know, fairly obvious, I would say. We are correcting this yield overshoot from the first quarter, and we went up rapidly in a short period of time. Uh, so the magnitude and the size was big, 88 basis points for Canada 10-year in the first quarter. Um, that, that's a huge move, right? Yes. And so the inflation's transitory narrative is being bought by the market. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that it will be transitory. And so I think uh, markets are erring on the side of buying that, that narrative for today. And those who challenge it and worry about inflation can at least buy the fact, well, the central bank believes it. So maybe that's all I care about. Right? And so that's where we'll see this week and in July and then maybe Jackson Hole. We've got these three opportunities for the Fed to perhaps change its guidance a little bit. And that right. might scare a few people. And then you've just got a ton of money. You know, foreign investors uptick their purchases of U.S. Uh, treasuries in, in the spring. 
Um, bond buying programs still going full tilt from the ECB, from the Fed itself. You know, again, that guidance potentially subject to change. But even the what's the most hawkish bank on the planet at the moment, which is our own, own Bank of Canada, um, hawkish but wearing a lot of dovish colors, with still doing three billion a week of of QE. And then money market funds are, are bursting at the seams, near records. You've got uh, deposit balances at banks, 17 trillion U.S. on deposit. You know, these are uh, near record or record numbers. So lots of cash needs to find a home, and the bond market has been uh, been a repository for that. I'm curious, I guess. So there's, there's um, a lot of signs of sort of recovery with this uh, question about inflation uh, that seems like it's it's – driving markets to somewhat unpredictable, well, maybe unpredictable is the wrong way of saying it, but unusual uh, terms with the, with the bond market reaction. Um, is this all a U.S. story? Or are you seeing the similar trends globally? Like is the fear of inflation a truly global one or is it, or is it mostly a developed market or, or a U.S. market fear? Yes and no, uh, I guess is the answer to that. The, the focus is on U.S. inflation because it is that Fed central bank, right, the U.S. Federal Reserve central bank's reaction function to U.S. inflation that uh, people are trying to figure out. And that's a wholly domestic U.S. story. But the Fed's reaction function is a global story. Right. And so what the Fed does will be in response to domestic factors, but it has global implications. Inflation in China, which, again, is another thing that we can look at and say, do we think it's transitory or or persistent? And you've had some move up in inflation in China, but it is starting to to calm down. That is um, coming, though, at the hands of some tightening from Chinese uh, fiscal and monetary policy. And the equity market has not responded all that well. You've had, um, since February, emerging markets and Chinese markets peaked out. You know, 10, 12% correction in those markets, but not a disaster. And they're trying to find their footing. That's the kind of thing I think it needs to be visited upon Western markets. Um, it, it is the US, the China story is, is in the backdrop, but panning out the way that I think it seems reasonable. And then the ECB, you know, with where things sit there being so low, negative um, uh, overnight rates still and pumping out a lot of QE, and they've been doing QE for well over a decade, um, you know, an inflation move higher there is probably more welcome than anything. Right. But the ECB isn't the same as the Fed in terms of global you know, implications. Great. Um, I wanted to maybe turn to China. We, you've referenced it uh, a few times in, in the, sort of the, the correction that you saw uh, as uh, their fiscal and monetary authorities tightened a little bit, um, you and, and I'm connecting two things, and I want to see if I if I'm uh, doing spurious correlations or not. Uh, but you had mentioned <laughs> er, earlier in the conversation that we're this squishy period between earnings, where there's not this fundamental corporate um, things that are are driving markets. Do you feel like the risks are higher right now, given the backdrop that the U.S. might follow China? Uh, or even rest of the world might follow China, uh, depending on what we hear from central banks or, or or the view on inflation. But we're just at an elevated piece of risk because we don't have any other data to offset that perceived risk. Yeah. So there's there's another piece in there that I would add to the mix. Sure. So the market is has to trans you know um, transit this period that lasts four to six weeks between earnings announcements, um, and so there's just a bit of a 
a quiet zone there. It's, it's normal, happens every quarter, right? So sure. that brings up a little bit of risk. Then you have the open-ended answers that the Fed has been, the Fed and, and every other central bank, quite frankly, including China, you know, the authorities there have been deliberately vague or certainly vague on the answers to how much inflation will they tolerate? What does transitory mean versus persistent? And, and what are those levels? And so what the market believes those levels to be and what the Fed may ultimately think those levels to be could need to have some squaring up. You know, we ran some analysis on the core PCE from the Fed that uh, is their preferred measure of inflation. And if you have the spike and then you melt it down for a few months and it comes under control and then it just averages, you know, what it's normally averaged for the past 10 to 20 years uh, on a monthly basis for about 10 months, and you still have core PCE inflation above 3% into February, March of next year. And I'm not sure the equity market thinks that's transitory. I think they think maybe October, November's transitory. So there's room for mismatch here. When you look at break-evens, yeah, they've come off a little bit. Um, you know, they're mid-twos and 270-ish, depending on whether you're looking at two, five, or 10-year break-evens. So again, none of those are over 3%. So there's clearly a, a mispricing, an opportunity, I guess, for, for some mispricing to have to be corrected there. So the lack of, of the hard data on the earnings side, the uh, risk for um, a communications accident on the part of the Fed or any other central bank uh, sure. of importance. And then the last is where we're coming from, which I think is a bit of what was in your question, that we have markets that are still on and off with all-time highs, right? We got over 20,000 on the TSX. We've been yeah. 4,200 on the S&P 500 for five, six weeks, just treading water a bit there. That's normal. That's healthy. Sideways is, is better than down. You can correct some of these overbought conditions. Both markets uh, have flashed overbought signals in the last two months, uh, U.S. and Canadian markets. And you can work some of that off just by marching through time. And, and the earnings coming through you know, with fabulous results obviously helps that. But it does, to me, you look and say, well, we're at a precipice here that's higher than otherwise. That can be a little more painful uh, of a tumble if it has to have a bit of a tumble. So what otherwise might have been a, you know, a three or five percent correction might be eight or ten or twelve, particularly in a in a Canadian context where the market's a little more volatile. Interesting. Um, anything that when you're thinking about it from an investor point of view, um, and the the purpose of these is, isn't to give per explicit portfolio advice or anything like that, but is there places that you would consider overweighting uh, to maybe hide from that risk a little bit? Uh, or, or reallocate some of the, your risk uh, portion of your portfolio? Feeling very much like squaring up to a, a, a neutral position makes a lot of sense here. When you have to be patient, you, know, you sort of go to a you know, solidly planted, both feet underneath your shoulders, athletic stance, ready to move in any direction. Um, we're certainly still feeling like the financials and energy has legs, but probably needs a bit of a breather here. There's been a lot of positive of, uh, tailwind in both those sectors. And if that means that the growth trade that we saw, you know, pick up a little bit over the past couple of weeks and, and yields remain a little soft, then that's going to require some patience with those trades. But I still think longer term, that's a good spot to be and that this reopening is still has room to play out. Um, 
it just we had a lot of movement into into the whole reopening value type trade over the past six to eight months, really since the the vaccine announcements. Nothing sure. moves in a straight line, and the, and the growth stocks. Uh, I mean, there's lots of great opportunities in, in a lot of these growth stocks. They're they're um, attractive for many reasons as businesses, and it's just a question of pricing. They're they're not cheap, but the um, the value trade might need a little breather here for a few weeks. So it depends a bit on, on time horizon. But there isn't anything that's really screaming out for us. I mean, we talked in our first call, you know, long-term emerging markets exposure, that's where growth right. is going to be found and that sort of stuff. And again, that's required patience over the past couple of months and, and likely, you know, we'll have to see a little bit more of that. But if I'm a five to 10 year investor, I'm not um, abandoning ship on any of those, that's for sure. Sure. Uh, well, great, Brent. Maybe we'll call it there for, for today. Thanks so much for your time and insights. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Look forward to speaking with you again in two weeks. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns.